The sermon text is a lesson from St. James, chapter 2. My brothers, have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ without showing favoritism. For example, suppose a man enters your worship assembly wearing gold rings and fine clothing, and a poor man also enters wearing filthy clothing. If you look with favor on the man wearing fine clothing and say, sit here in this good place, but you tell the poor man, stand over there or sit down here at my feet. Have you not made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil opinions? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you dishonored the poor man. Don't the rich oppress you and don't they drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who blaspheme the noble name that was pronounced over you? However, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show favoritism, you are committing a sin, since you are convicted by this law as transgressors. In fact, whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles in one point has become guilty of breaking all of it. For the one who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law of freedom. For there will be judgment without mercy on the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. It's possible you will remember this story from a sermon that was preached here not too long ago, but it's a story that fits the thought for this Sunday perfectly, and it's also a personal favorite from the life of Martin Luther, or in this case, the end of the life of Martin Luther. On a very cold February night in 1546, Luther lay on his deathbed. He was 62, which back then was a very ripe old age, especially for a male. He had also lived a stressful life, to say the least. So that night, his heart gave out. Right after Luther died, his doctor went through the pockets of his coat, see if there was anything valuable, any money in there. Or maybe one last letter to his family. It was a very common thing in those days to carry one last message to your wife or your children on you. After you passed, it could be delivered to them. Well, the doctor found no money at all, maybe because Luther really preferred spending money to holding on to it, so that makes sense. He also found no letter to his family, probably because Luther was already in the habit of writing three or four love letters to his wife every week, didn't feel the need to carry one more on his person. The only thing the doctor did find in one of the pockets, the main pocket of the overcoat, was a little folded piece of paper with two short sentences on it. And as the doctor held that note in his hand, he read Luther's parting message to the world. This is true. We are all beggars. Of course, might not have been so much a message to the world as just a reminder to himself. By the end of the, his life, he'd become pretty wealthy, very famous. Little reminder to himself every time he reached into that pocket for anything and touched that little piece of paper. 
We are all beggars. Of course, that is not at all a flattering way for us to think of ourselves, but as Luther simply wrote, this is true. Before God, we are all beggars. We are dependent on him for anything. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you do for a living, how much money you have in the bank. We're all beggars before God. You know, an awful lot of human dissatisfaction, even misery, comes from the mistaken idea that God owes us good things. We have good things coming to us from God. You see, if I start from that position, then what's going to happen? Anytime God takes something good away from me, or he withholds something good and never gives it to me, I'm going to start getting bitter, even angry with God, like he's holding out on me, like he's not being fair. The truth is, we have nothing coming from God at all, unless, unless you want to approach it from the negative side. Then there are things we do deserve from God. We deserve eternal abandonment and punishment for our sins. That's what we deserve from God. But in his word, God tells us that because he is good, because he is gracious, he fills our sinful little empty, dirty hands with blessing on top of blessing, spiritual blessing that our human brains cannot even fully comprehend. The forgiveness of those sins that deserves his punishment, forgiveness of sins in the work of Jesus to wash our hands clean, pure goodness, grace of God. And then in the grace of Christ, God keeps piling more spiritual blessings into our hands we would be here all day if we listed them all. But among them, the promise of life with God in heaven at his side. The word and sacraments keep our faith in Jesus strong. The privilege of prayer, being able to speak to God. And then, on top of all of those spiritual blessings, into our empty hands, God piles worldly blessings, physical blessings, as much as he sees fit. And it's true that God does not distribute his physical blessings evenly. He never claims to. And he owes us no explanation of why he gives certain people more than others. But he piles into empty human hands churches and schools and homes and family and friends and computers and cars and money. He piles into some hands so much food that we struggle to close the door of our refrigerator or our pantry and we have to struggle to get all of our food eaten before it expires. And then he gives us the privilege of living in a wonderful country, in amazing cities. And I know our country has really serious problems right now and so do our cities and sometimes it's easy to just focus on the negatives. But the truth is, we still have it better here and now than 99.99999% of all the human beings in the history of the world. For God to let us live here, in this country, in these cities at this time, is an amazing blessing and privilege. We are all beggars, and into our empty hands, God piles spiritual blessings in his Son, and then on top of that, he piles physical, worldly blessings. Just because he is good, he is gracious, you know, a lot of churches, the congregation gets a visual reminder of this every time their clergy prays. Their pastor or priest stands at the altar and extends his arms and holds his palms up as he prays. And it's a reminder of who we are. 
Lord, we know who we are. We know we have empty hands, but we also know who you are. We know that you are good and gracious, so we trust you, Lord, to fill these empty hands now with the good things that we are asking for. A long time ago, I was walking through the bar district of downtown Milwaukee with a group of friends. It's called Water Street, although water is not usually part of the equation when you're down there. And we were walking from establishment to establishment, and we were approached by a man who was panhandling, which is fine, but what stood out about this particular panhandler was the way he behaved and the way he spoke. He came at us with his chest puffed up and his chin up in the air, and his icebreaker, right, his opening line was, give me a dollar. And the first thing I thought was, why don't you give me a dollar? What is this give me a dollar stuff? It's kind of a strange way, isn't it, for someone who's begging to behave cocky and arrogant and, and make demands. As long as someone has their palms up to you for something, you would expect them to have their noses down in humility, to act like a beggar, to act like someone who is needy. Now, not very long ago, I was waiting to turn left, Smoketown onto Miniville. It's one of those lovely stoplights in this area where you can die of old age waiting for it to turn green. It's like a six-minute light. So to look at it positively, it gives you plenty of time to look around, okay? Take, take in the scenery and everything that's happening around you. And on the opposite median, there was a beggar, and she was holding a little cardboard sign that just said, please help me. Now, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing she was probably having a lot more success than that guy back in Milwaukee. We are all beggars. We have our hands up to God for everything, from salvation for our souls to saltine crackers for our soup. And as long as we have our hands up to God, we should be acting like beggars, humble, with our noses down, our palms up to God for every good thing. But sometimes even Christian beggars have a way of putting their nose up in the air. And in these verses, St. James writes at length about one way that Christian beggars can make this mistake, and that is in showing favoritism to certain people, sticking their nose up to other people in arrogance. And James here specifically talks about showing favoritism to people who have more money, more material wealth than other people. But this kind of favoritism in the way we interact and the way we deal with people. It can happen because of money, but it can happen for all kinds of different things. Intellect, good looks, athleticism, social standing. And you know it's true that when God distributes those kinds of gifts, he does not do it evenly. But that doesn't change the fact that when God looks at each human being, he sees a beggar in each one of us. No matter how much money you have, where you come from, what you do for a living, the tone of your skin, God looks at every human being and sees a person who is doomed by their sin without his son. And he sees a human being who needs their palms filled with his grace in Jesus. When God looks at us, he sees the same spiritual status. And people who receive those worldly gifts, not because they deserve it, but because he is kind. And that's the way God wants us to look at each other, to see each other, and to treat each other as equals. Now, James here puts this sin of favoritism, and it is a sin. He puts it in this concrete social context of a worship assembly 
where two guys walk in and one looks rich and one looks poor and they're treated differently. And that is one way that Christians can show favoritism and stick up their nose in social interactions, the way we treat other people. But from there, James transitions to a different kind of favoritism. And this is more of a, a spiritual favoritism. Showing mercy, forgiveness to certain people and not to others. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law of freedom. For there will be judgment without mercy on the one who has not shown mercy. So James here, he calls the law, the commandments of God, he calls it very literally the law that gives freedom. Now for a Christian, for a person with the Holy Spirit in their heart, the law of God, his commandments, they are freeing. They are liberating. It is a freeing thing to say, I'm not going to let my sinful nature pin me down and control me anymore. I'm not going to let the devil bully me and push me around. I'm not going to live by the standards of an unbelieving world. I'm going to live the way God wants me to because he loves me and I love him. That is very freeing. It's a liberating position to take. But what James writes here is also true when he says, if you stumble at one point in the law, you are guilty of breaking all of it. And that means that when we stand before God on Judgment Day, we're going to be doing it with our palms up as sinful people who need his grace, who need the work of our Savior Jesus. Now you would expect people who have their palms up to God for his mercy, for his forgiveness in his Son, to freely show that same forgiveness and mercy to any of their fellow Christians who need it from them. But are we ever more ready to forgive a friend than we are an enemy? Or to pardon somebody who's important in the eyes of the world? Or to show mercy to someone that we're pretty sure will be able to pay us back with a favor in the future? When we do that, we're forgetting that our own palms are up to God for his forgiveness in his son. You know, James, he has a pretty powerful warning here when he says there will be judgment without mercy on the one who has not shown mercy. So if I want to stick my nose up into the air to somebody else who needs mercy from me, the way it works is the longer and higher I stick my nose up in the air, the more my hands drop until finally I've just let go of God's mercy for me. Now, our Savior Jesus, during his three-year ministry in this world, he gained a lot of experience with people who held their noses up to other people socially in the way they interacted and dealt with other people and spiritually, the mercy, the forgiveness that they would show to other people. Some of these guys were called Pharisees and they were actually so spiritually unaware, they were so unaware that their own hands were up to God needing forgiveness that they were actually proud to be proud. They wore it as like a badge of honor that they would not interact with certain people, wouldn't talk to them, wouldn't eat with them. And they wore it as a badge of honor that they would refuse forgiveness to people who they considered to be sinners, as if they themselves were not sinners. And so these people were really confused. First they were confused, then they were angry at this, this new rabbi from Nazareth who actually went out of his way to interact with social misfits and outcasts to eat with people and talk to people that nobody else would have anything to do with. And they were even more confused when Jesus of Nazareth started forgiving 
in the name of God, forgiving anybody who asked for it, no matter what they had done in their past, in their lives. They saw a man, in other words, who showed no favoritism in either who he would deal with or who he would show mercy to. And you know, you see this so clearly in Jesus' ministry. If you just take a quick little walking tour through the first few chapters of John's Gospel, in chapter 2, you find Jesus attending a wedding of an unnamed bride and groom in a tiny little town called Cana. Now, I don't know if you've ever gotten a wedding invitation before and opened it up and thought something like, look, pal, I know we were roommates in college, but if you think I'm going to Schenectady for your wedding, right, regrets not doing that. Well, Jesus is the almighty son of God. He does not turn up his nose at that invitation. He goes to Cana and celebrates with that couple. And he even helps them when they get into trouble and run out of wine. And then in the very next chapter, chapter 3, you find Jesus meeting face-to-face with a man named Nicodemus. In the middle of the night, Jesus is patiently, carefully teaching this man about the kingdom of heaven, even though Nicodemus was one of those dreaded Pharisees. See, now Nicodemus is ready to learn, and Jesus doesn't shut him out because of a group that he belongs to or things he had thought in the past. He's ready to show Nicodemus truth and turn him toward forgiveness. And then you get to chapter 4 and you find Jesus sitting at a well with just one other person, a Samaritan woman. Now, socially, there's about 55 different reasons that Jesus should not be sitting at that well with that woman. First of all, he's a rabbi, she's a woman. That didn't happen culturally. Secondly, he's a Jew, she's a Samaritan. They're supposed to hate each other for racial reasons. And third... He's a religious guy, and she has lived an open, notoriously sinful life. And yet, there Jesus is interacting with her, and he's showing her the sin in her life, and also pointing her to himself for salvation. See this so clearly in Jesus' ministry, that he is ready to talk to anybody, anybody who will talk to him. And he wants to forgive everybody, everybody, who turns to him in repentance. And it's so important for us to understand that Jesus did not just do that to be a good example for us. Of course, because Jesus is the Son of God, he is always a good example. But he lived that perfectly favoritism-free life in our place to make up for the favoritism that we have shown in our lives. He lived that holy life for the forgiveness of our sin. And even in his death on the cross, Jesus shows no favoritism at all. The blood that he sheds on the cross washes away all sin of every human being because every human is a beggar that needs it. It's in Jesus' holy life and death that God fills our hands with the forgiveness of sins and with every spiritual blessing. So, fellow beggars, keep your palms up to our good Gracious Lord, for every blessing. He has filled them, and he will continue to fill them with every good thing simply because of who he is. All the spiritual blessings of Christ, the physical blessings as much as he sees fit to give each one of us. And with our palms up to the Lord for every good thing, our noses will stay right where they should, down in humility. Each one of Jesus' people will be humble and treat everyone around them with the same respect 
and the same interaction and courtesy and the same mercy whenever we need it. Because in the end, we are all beggars with palms up and filled by God. Amen.